chapter 2, verse 1 to verse 9. And I shall read to you Malachi chapter 2, verse 1. And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart, to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. Verse 6. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despise and abase before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let us seek the Lord in prayer before the sermon. Our Father in heaven, thank you Lord once again for giving us a day of worship and of rest, a day whereby your people can come together as one, even to sing praises unto your name, to seek you in prayer, and now even to hear from the preaching of your word. Again, we commend even this hour learning to your hands that you'll be pleased to grant us an open ears, softened hearts to receive your word. They may bring forth much fruit in our lives for your glory. Pray for the preacher that you use him as your mouthpiece. You grant him the unction of the Holy Spirit, grant him bonus and clarity of mind and speech as he seek even to bring forth your, the richness of your, good, of your word to your people. For we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We live in a world that is crying out for a better leadership. Leadership in church is one of the biggest challenges that the church is facing because without strong leadership, the church rarely lives out its redemptive potential. Says Bill Hybels, the former pastor of the world-renowned Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago and the founder of the Global Leadership Summit. While that is true everywhere, in the family, children cried out for responsible parents. In the marketplace, the board of directors and even the employees are crying out for a visionary CEO to turn their company around. In the community, 
the people are crying out for a member of parliament who cares, who speaks their concerns in parliament, and who answers their request for their child to have a place in their dream school. But the irony of all of this is just as Bill Hybels and many others who champion and nurture a better leadership in church, in the family, in the marketplace, and in the community. Now, the church and the organizations that Bill Hybels had founded, and yes, himself, was riddled with scandals of leadership abuses. Subsequently, Bill Hybels, who was forced to go into early retirement in April 2018. Now we have looked at the Lord's charge against the priest the last time in Malachi chapter 1, verse 6 to 14. The charge essentially was that they have despised the honor or the name of the Lord. They did that by bringing polluted animals, sacrifices to the Lord's altar. It went further than that. They held the altar and the whole sacrificial system, which is a type and shadow of Christ, to come in contempt. And instead of regarding their service as an honour, they regarded it as something burdensome, distasteful and miserable. This morning we will see that this contempt that the priest had for God's glory will bring his judgment and his chastisements upon them. Their contempt for God's name also led them to have contempt for God's law. And because of this, God's judgment and chastisement is coming upon them. This message is primarily a message for anyone who is in service for the Lord that we be careful to practice what we preach and teach from the pulpit, from the Sunday school classrooms, from the Bible classes, and even from your care groups. This is also a message for anyone who plays a leadership role in the church, in the family, in campus, in the marketplace, and also in the community. And because the priest despised the Lord's altar, which was the same as despising the Lord, they deserve judgment and chastisements. We read of that from verses 1 to 4, which brings us to our next point, that is the charges and chastisements on ungodly leadership. And interestingly, if you are a careful reader of the scripture, this announcement of judgment is called a command in verse 1 of chapter 2. It is a commandment from God who issued the orders to bear on the priests or religious leaders of the people of God. Number one, chastisements and judgments are coming and blessings withhold. Now, the Lord of hosts says that if they do not listen, if they do not take it to heart <coughs> to give honour to the Lord, 
judgment and chastisement is, that is coming. They must change their attitudes and their actions and give God the glory and honour due to Him. See, the priests will have to conform to the requirements laid out for them in the law regarding the kind of sacrifices they will be acceptable to bring to the altar. They will have to honour the Lord in their attitude and view this not as a job, but as a privilege to be called to serve the Lord and failure to change again and to be, and failure to begin to honour the Lord in their service will result in the Lord's judgment and chastisements upon them. Not only that, the Lord has also declared that their blessings will also be removed. And what does this exactly mean? It can mean one or two things, or it refers to both. And I believe it refers to both. First of all, it refers to the material blessing they receive being ordained to the priesthood. The material blessing will be in the form of the tithes and offerings of the people which make up the income of the priests. Secondly, it refers to the spiritual blessings that was part of the covenant and it was life and peace. Not only will they face impending judgment from the Lord, the Lord have already declared that they have removed that blessing, that material blessing and that spiritual blessing from them as they continue to dishonor the Lord. Now what are the results that come from this curse upon the priests? The first, there are three results. First result is, would be, the first result of the curse would be against their seed. This is the word in Hebrew and it is, it can either refer to the seed that you plant on the ground or it can refer to the offspring or descendants or the children of the people. Our ESV translates this as offspring since it speaks of the removal of the priests from their office. In short, ungodly leadership will have ill effects on subsequent generations. Make no mistake about it. Ungodly leadership, whether in church, whether in the home, whether in the marketplace, and even in the community, will have ill effects on subsequent generations. It will be a downward trend for ungodly leadership through the generations. We need not look far at the subsequent and successive priesthood. In the days of Christ, some 400 years later, two treacherous high priests, Annas and Capias, and their cohorts, cohorts, the Sadducees, were in office. They went all out to plot, to subvert justice, and to murder our Lord. It is the ill effects upon their successive generations. Even 
before that, the priesthood had totally gone, in a sense. Yes, they are performing their daily tasks at the temple, but they get, they get themselves into politics, into power struggle in subsequent years. And by the time of Christ, they are mere figureheads in the establishment, championing power. And they even went to that stand to ally themselves with the Romans or to force the Romans to put Christ to death. But Christ's grace triumphs over the treacherous hearts of men. See, there are there's a random according to the election of grace. There was this godly priest named Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, in the opening pages of the New Testament. And the scripture tells us in Acts chapter 6, verse 7, and I read to you, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And take note of this part of the verse. And a great number, many of the priests became obedient to the faith. We see a contrast here. Yes, the cursed is over their descendants, but God's, Christ's grace triumphed over the curse of Christ. A great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The Lord had found them. God came, Christ came, and he reversed the curse because he became a curse for sinners on the cross. And as far as, and as great the curse is found, our Savior is far greater. I repeat again, as far and as great the curse is found, our Savior is far greater. The second result would be their dishonor. God speaks of spreading refuse or dung on their faces. Now the word in Hebrew refers to uh, dung or what was in the bowels of the animals that were sacrificed. This action will render the priest unclean and unable to perform his duties at the altar during their great feasts and holidays. Okay, most understand this to be a figurative for the contempt that the priest would come to have in the eyes of the people. It is significant, if you are a careful reader again, that the Lord refers to the feast as your feast, not my feast. The sin of the priest in not honouring the Lord in despising God's author have cancelled out the spiritual value of the feast. Mm. And we are seeing it in our times and age too. We have seen many ungodly pastors and leaders of mega churches and influential organizations like seminaries, publishing houses, who honor themselves 
and work on their own agenda and who suffer the same fate too in our times. Whichever work they are doing is their work and it's not God's work, essentially. And the spiritual value is missing and is lost in the process. Big churches, big seminaries and big publishing houses. But the Lord's blessing is not in their work. So let us take heed lest we fall. And of course, the question remains, what are your motives in serving the Lord? What are your motives in serving the Lord? A very basic question that underlies all our Christian service. Is it to be your own agenda? Is it for your own name? Is it to make the organization bigger, the church bigger? Or is it for the honor of God? And for the glory of his name. Of the third result was what was they were not burned on the altar, the skin, the entrails, the dung, and all this was carried outside the city to be burned. Because the priests have dung spread on their faces, they will be carried out with the rest outside the city and be, to be burned in the valley. In other words, the priests will be treated as filth by the people and they will be swept out of their position. Out of the office of the priesthood. Now this was fulfilled when the temple, the sacrificial system, and the priesthood was finally destroyed in AD 70. So, and I have the, my wife and I had the privilege to witness, to see what happens after 2,000 years, after the destruction of the city of Jerusalem, the temple, and the whole system. Now, there's this particular valley called Valley of Heman, still around in Jerusalem, in the southwest. Now, the rest of the valley around Jerusalem has be, have become a theme park of sort. Like. The city of David was a happening place. The valley of Kitron also was a happening place. But the particular valley called Valley of Himlon is not a happening place. Almost like slum. You know. For good reason, I think the, the memories of the past lives on. That's where the bad memories of the people lives on. That's where the people the sacrificial, the, all the field will be dumped there at the Valley of Hinnon, years, 2,000 years ago. And that is the result of not honouring the Lord, not receiving Messiah, Christ, into their lives as their Lord and their Saviour. Now you may ask the next question, why is the reason for the Lord's judgment upon them? Why is the Lord so harsh upon this priesthood? There are two reasons. First of all, is to wake them up of their spiritual slumber and contempt. Let us pause for a moment and think it's not a light thing to contempt, to regard the author of the Lord as a contempt, to regard the service of the Lord as a contempt. It's not a light thing. And the Lord wants to wake them up 
the design of the curse or the reason that it would be brought upon the priests who refused to give glory to the Lord of hosts was to shake them up, to bring them out of their slumber and their complacency and to wake them up to see their sin. They must come to face to face with their sin, sin of contempt. And the Lord says that when this curse comes upon them, when they begin to experience the effects of the curse, they will know that it is sent from the Lord of hosts. They will understand that this commandment was spoken to them by the one whom they were not honouring, the one who was their father and their master. Secondly, this curse was designed to purge and to purify the priesthood so that his covenant with the tribe of Levite would continue. Remember, the Lord has chosen the tribe of Levite out of all the tribes of Israel to have the ministry of the temple. Beside the priest's family, the whole tribe of Levite, they were involved, enlisted to serve as religious leaders of the people of God. Of course, the family of Aaron was chosen to be the priest, but each of the other families in the tribe of Levi have roles to play in the ministry of the temple as well as in the ministry of the word in the land. The Lord, when he speaks of Levi here, is specifically referring to the priestly line that came from Aaron and it was passed through his descendants. The Lord of hosts is willing to send this curse to perch and to purify the priestly line that his covenant with the tribe of Levi as the ministers of the temple would continue. If they would repent and give God the glory that was due to him, they would be purified from all, from the evil they were doing. If not, the Lord would remove their family from the priesthood. And our Lord did just that. And it is in its place, in the place of the priestly line of Aaron. The Lord has called and is calling and will be calling his elect from all the corners of the earth and to make them a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who call you out of darkness into his marvellous light. 1 Peter 2.9 We are now, in his, so to speak, engrafted into the royal priesthood of Christ as you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we have looked at the judgment or the chastisements of the ungodly leadership and the reasons for it. The, spec, the text also speaks of an ideal of a godly leadership from verses 5 to 7. Not to be, just to begin with this portion of scripture, on the onset we must know and we must realize that the Lord's description of the ideal of the godly priesthood 
cannot be traced to any that is mentioned in the Bible, except for Christ himself, who is our perfect high priest. Now the covenant with Levi spoken in verse 4 and verse 5 is really a type of the merciful and faithful high priest, Christ Jesus. We are down the cross for our sins and lives forevermore to make intercession for us, for his people at the right hand of God. Now, while the Lord is reminding these priests that the original priests, Aaron and his sons and grandsons, took their responsibilities as priests to the Lord seriously and carried out their roles reverently, though imperfectly, they were to look forward to the antitype, Christ Jesus, the Messiah to come, for their instruction and for their comfort. So in verses 6 to 7, the Lord describes the high standards, you may say, of the priestly covenant or what a godly leader should be like in Christ. Okay, first of all, a godly leader, they were to be trustworthy and morally pure in doctrine. What this simply means is they know the will of God and they can be trusted with the will of God. They do not teach their own views, their own theories, their own interpretations or even speculations. The priest, the leader, were to teach the word of God as they had written for them in the law history and the poetry and the prophets that refers to the Old Testament. And what about us today, the pastors and leaders of the church, even of the family? If the Lord allows, even in our campus, even in our marketplace and in our community, we are to preach and we are to teach the whole counsel of the Word of God. Not only matters or things that are politically correct and popular, but the hard truths of the will of God. In season and out of season. Secondly, no wrong was found on his lips. Now the word wrong, the word translated wrong is literally iniquity and is from the root word meaning crookedness. So it's not something that is crooked or twisted. This phrase means that they were not to be twist. They were not to twist any words to meet their own ends or their own means. They were not to be double tongue. Their ye is ye and their nay is nay. And their decisions were to be based only on the law and were not to be prejudiced in any way. Thirdly, he walked with me in peace and uprightness. 
In other words, his life was to be an example of godly living. His life, as well as his teaching, was to be peace and pure. He is not to be contentious over every issue in church and life. In a conference, I was many a book table, and this particular book really interests me a lot. Titled Choosing the Right Hills to Die On. We must die on some hills, but we must choose on the right hills to die on. I think that's a cross of the matter. Yes, we have to die, but not to die for every issues in life. We ought to die on the right issues if we need to die for. for. Yes, he would rather he would rather find the right hills to die on. He will follow Christ, who is meek and lowly in heart, in his interaction with God's people. This life of purity and godliness was his way of life, not only privately but also publicly. Fourthly, and he turned many back from iniquity. He was to turn people from sin and to the Lord by the word of God. Their focus was to teach the word of God faithfully. It was not to be distracted by other areas of life, by politics and power struggle of the day. Well, the priesthood in Malachi's times feared to do so and it continued to degenerate to the time of the Maccabees revolt in 167 BC the priesthood eventually became the king of Judea for at least maybe 167 to 67 63 BC 100 years or less then after that subject to the Roman rule they become politicians instead of priests. They have lost their way and calling to be preachers of God's word. Fifthly, the lips of a priest should guard knowledge and follow up with says. It was the responsibility of the priests to study the Word of God and to teach it faithfully. The priest was also the appointed interpreter of the law and the people needed to have confidence in the priest to teach the Word of God accurately and to judge justly so that they would seek instruction from his mouth. The elders of the church are to be apt to teach and to preach the word, to handle the word accurately and to bear it on the church as well. Now to do so, he must be a lifelong learner of God's word. He must be like the Sea of Galilee when she continues to be refreshed by the springs of Hermon. The Sea of Galilee is a good place to retire, actually. Very green, very refreshing. Food is nice. The weather 
maybe I'm wrong at the wrong time, it's hot, but very pleasant, have nature parks, forests, hills and mountains. But more importantly, the sea itself is full of life. People not windsurfing, canoeing, kayaking, boat cruises, people by the by the beach of the Sea of Galilee, enjoying a day. Water is clear and cool and cold. You can swim in it. Because it's continuing being refreshed by the springs from Hermon or from the Golan Heights. But when the leader of the church, being a pastor, being an elder, even being a Sunday school teacher, when they stop learning, when he stops reading and he stops attending conferences to learn God's word and to be in fellowship with other uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, he will be like a dead sea where you can only float. You can't even get one drop of water into your eyes or you'll be in trouble, really in trouble. You get one drop of the water into your eyes, you can't even, your eyes will be so painful, you know. And I got a few drops in my, one in my mind, eyes and one in my mouth, and my tongue was numb. The moment is, that's how deadly Dead Sea is, and how dead Dead Sea is. No life, no birds, and you can only float, you can't even swim. Yes, in Sea of Galilee, you can see many seabirds flying around, so I delete. But that's the reason why, because it stops, life stops in Dead Sea. And sixthly, he is a messenger of the Lord of Hosts. He spoke the word of the Lord of Hosts. He was the chosen messenger of God's word to the people. This was an honour bestowed on him by God have chosen Arians, blind from the tribe of Levi, to serve the Lord as priests before him. This may have been a play of words. You will notice here, sometimes in your Bible reading, you need to catch this. Don't just read it plainly. Remember, what's Malachi's name? Means, my messenger. And Malachi wrote that the priests were to be the messengers of the Lord of hosts too. They are also Malachi's. So Malachi writing to Malachi's. This was the priest's main calling. However, as we have noted earlier, they did not focus on their calling. They sought for other things like power and politics. The priesthood became so degenerated as represented by Annas and Caiaphas in the time of Christ. And this is sadly this is true for many pastors and leaders in gospel churches today. They have lost their primary calling as teachers and preachers of God's word. They have not put in their time, their focus, and their prayer, in the preparation of their weekly sermons and pastoral matters. They rather spend time and effort in peripheral matters pertaining to God's kingdom. I know of pastors who would like to go 
not go, love to go on scouting trip for the next church camp premise. They simply love to drive into Malaysia, drive over Malaysia, look for the next place to have their church camp. And I know of pastors who simply love to organize church conferences, after church conferences. They would love to go through all the menu. He just simply loved to organize. But then they would return back to their church and say, I have no time. I have no time for sermon preparation. Of course, you have no time. You spend, I don't know how many days in Malaysia looking for a church site. You spend how many hours organizing a church conference. Of course, you have no time. And they also complain to their family, I have no time. No, no. The main calling of a pastor, even an elder, and any teachers of the Word of God is to teach the Word of God, to preach the Word of God, to prepare, to study, to spend time in prayer, and to give all the time that he has to be a messenger of God's word, and he must do it, and he must stick to it. I know of a pastor who, maybe you say that he's too heavenly minded to be of earthly use. I know one pastor who did not even know what's a church program like, no. Church camp program like, until he received the booklet. He knows there are how many preaching slots, of course, but he don't know what the timing, he don't even know uh, what's the timing for recreation and things like that? Because he has simply no time for that. He just simply concentrates on preparing his sermon for the occasion. Next, we look at the closing verses of this passage. That is, verses 8 to 9 shows us the priests of Malachi, they have broken every standard the, of the covenant of the Lord. And now let us learn a thing or two by contrast. What was stated in a negative way, yes. But let us also learn something from the positive way. First of all, they leave the opposite of the ideal. The Lord says they have turned from the way. They are not leading godly and pure lives. Their lives were full of sin and impurity before God. We have seen the ideal of the godly leadership as exemplified by our Lord and our Saviour, Jesus Christ, the merciful and great high priest. And we are to align to the ideal. Yes, we have seen, we have we have to align ourselves with the ideal. And the ideals of godly leadership, they are repeated for us, actually, in First Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 to verse 12, and also in Titus chapter 1, verse 5 to verse 9, as qualification for elders and deacons of the church. So things are not new. These things are not new. Things have not changed much, and so instead of living opposite to the ideals, like us, 
strive by the help of the Holy Spirit to align ourselves to the ideals. Align ourselves. I will speak about that much later. Secondly, they were not the example that they were to be to the people of God. Instead of their lives, their lives lead the people of God away. The Lord says they have caused many to stumble by the instruction that was not true. Instead of teaching God's word faithfully, they were teaching false instruction in their words and by example. They could have rejected all the polluted sacrifices that were brought to the table. Straight away. But did they? Because they held the altar of the Lord by con- in contempt, they accepted the polluted, the speckled goats and the lamb that's brought to the altar daily. By their teaching and by their example, they are stumbling the rest of the people of God. And Apostle Peter tells us also in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 3, not domineering over those in your church, mark this, by being examples to the flock. As leaders of the church, even a Bible study group, or as a Sunday school teacher, people are looking at your lives, they're imitating you. Today is Father's Day, but like father, like child. In the wrong, but of course in a good way, it's good, but the child will follow the father. Your followers will follow you. Your Sunday school class will follow you. I mean, to be very candid, if you are late for your Sunday school class, your children, your children will be late for your Sunday school class. As simple as that. It is significant for the people of God. We are to be faithful and committed. And it's also, it is also significant for us to note that the person who writes this is Peter. People are telling the elders of the church to be examples to the flock. Remember Peter, who often gets ahead of himself, who dominates every conversation as recorded for us in the Gospels. And remember he denied the Lord three times. Again, in this trip to the Bible lands, I have the privilege to visit a very interesting named church. They call it the Church of the Cockroach. The Church of the Cockroach. Actually, I don't think that, I can't remember the exact name, but they call, keep calling it the Church of the Cockroach. Because in front of the church, there's a huge cockroach. And in the so-called the traditional site where Peter did that a lot three times, and in the very courtyard, the very courtyard where you can pay pilgrimage, but please don't do so. The Peter and was around. There was this uh, stone sculpture, a very nice stone sculpture of Peter denying the Lord three times in the very courtyard. 
That's Peter. But yet he has learned his lesson. He knows. Again and again, not only has he experienced the gospel of Christ again and again, but he knows that by living a good example to the believers. He stumbled one more time. Remember, at the time of Galatians, when Peter, write, uh, when Paul was writing to the Galatians, he remember a time where Paul, uh, Peter, this suddenly become to become so scared, and then he dissociated himself from the Gentile Christian, then he eat with the Jewish Christian, like making the division again in the church. So he stumbled again, but yet he knows because of his action, even Barnabas follow him. Barnabas follow him or not to do that? What is this? So he learned again, example is so important to the church, to the people of God. And therefore he exhort them to come, to be examples to the flock. And thirdly, they were unfaithful to commitment to their commitment to the Lord. The Lord says that they have corrupted the covenant of Levi, they have broken the covenant by not fearing the Lord and giving him the glory and honour due to his name. And because they have broken the covenant, because they have despised the Lord, he says he will punish them by making them despise before the people of God. Now what is this remedy? The remedy to unfaithfulness is really faithfulness and commitment of faithfulness and stickability to the service of the Lord, of your calling in the kingdom of God. You, you be a pastor, be an elder, a Bible class teacher, or even a tea fellowship coordinator, you, we are to be faithful and be committed to the calling which the Lord has called us to. Now, past week, we, I was in the Bible conference many days, Manning the book table, also attending to the lectures. It's excellent lectures. If you have not heard him, please do so. You have one more chance to do so tonight at FERC, Dr. Joel Piki. We may be seeing him for the last time in life because he's already 70 years old. And to get him back to Singapore again will be not an easy task. He's demanded worldwide. So I must uh, wonder how FERC can kidnap him from en route to from New Zealand en route to South Africa, and he have he have to preach twenty three times in nine days. Yes, great was the blessing from his messages, but I learned there are many other blessings that comes along the way. At least two. I've seen two, in a sense, laymen in action at the conferences. One was a lady. She would come at the end, in the middle of the, of the night of the conference, while in the middle of the meeting, in the middle of the night meeting, she would bring all the, all your tea break. She would bring, along with one son, one little boy, and sometimes one little boy and one little girl. Then she would place all the food on the table nicely, do it nice, for the at least for three nights all the night meetings before the main crowd come down for their tea break. That is what I call faithfulness and stickability to the job. 
never was she late for any night. And she, when she served the bao on the table, it's not just in a box. She'll get those uh, wooden, wooden, I call it wooden pan, uh, wooden, and she'll put it nicely. She'll put a flower, she'll put, she'll make the tea break area so wonderful for God's glory. And people enjoy the food. And every night is a different, different tea break for them. A second person that I'm much blessed by is he is purely a participant of the conference. Okay, the lady will say she has been assigned to the job, she had to do it, no choice. But this was, brother was a participant on the first night. And he stayed back a little later than the rest. And he said, after you have finished all your talking, all your food, many of us look at your watch and say, oh, it's time to go. So all left. And he looked at the floor. Oh, so dirty. What happens? Who will take care of the dirty flooring? He looked, he went and asked around for a mop, get a pail of water, and he started to mop the floor. For the rest, happily leave the place after a night of blessing. He did it on the first night, second night, and third night as a volunteer, purely a participant of the, and he's a senior man. And he just mopped the floor, make it clean, so that the caretaker, so-called the warden, will not have to work so hard. The warden of the host church is also another marvel. Yes, this is his, it was, this is his job, but yet he keep the place clean, not just clean, but in order for the next day's meeting. This is what I call faithfulness in the work and also stickability to the work. He's been doing that every day of his life. Faithful, the Lord's calling to him. Now what shall we say to all these things? Where the Lord has pronounced his commandment on the priests of Malachi's day, because they have broken the covenant of Levi. We receive the same charges today as we are to elect a church committee for the coming year. Coming three years, actually. Where the Lord has pronounced His commandment, because the priests have failed to keep their duty, they have failed to fear the Lord, they have failed to honor the Lord. And the holiness of God demand. That at the end of the day, we are not coming before God. They don't care. No, we are coming before a holy and just God, holy and loving God. Whether you are a leader of one or a leader of ten, a leader of hundreds, we are serving the holy God, and that matters. Godly leadership matters, not just mere leadership matters. And what the Lord demands from the priests remain unchanged for the pastors and leaders of the church today. We are to honor God in every way before the people of God. We are to be faithful and be committed to the calling as under shepherds of the Church of Christ, following the great shepherd of our souls, leading the flock to green pastures and still water. 
in a dry and thirsty wilderness. Again, I have the chance in my last holiday in Babylons to see shepherd boy bringing a little flock of goats from place to place in the wilderness. Okay, wilderness is not a place where you can see Indiana Jones riding into the sunset. That beautiful. Wilderness is dry, thirsty, no water, sandy, rocky. I can't even see a bit of grass. I can't even see any pool of water. But yet this shepherd boy will bring his goats to some places whom he, that he knows have water, have some grass growing on. Now what happens if the shepherd boy, of course the shepherd boy now is no longer, he carries a staff too, but he also carries a handphone now. Times have changed. He need not to use a slingshot to, to kill any animals. He can call 911 for help too. So he carry a handphone, he carry a staff. Okay, what if for a moment the little shepherd boy decided to chase Pokemon instead of leading? There are Pokemons in the wilderness. There are people chasing Pokemon in the wilderness too, okay? What if they are chasing Pokemon in the wilderness instead of looking after the flock of goats and sheep? Goats, mainly goats. What if he decided to earn an extra buck by helping tourists take photo? For say his calling as a shepherd of the goats. This is what's happening to our church today. Even in some gospel churches today, the shepherd and the shepherd have left his calling for and do some other things. This ought not to be so. The flock is in a dry and thirsty land. They need to be brought to the springs of living water. They need to be fed with the will of God. And yes, we have a high standard to uphold. We must be faithful and accurate in what we teach. We must also live our lives by the same standards that we teach. And we can do so by the Spirit empowering. As I mentioned, we have a high standard to follow, to uphold. We must also live our lives by the same standards that we teach. We must direct all glory to the Lord. We must be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. We must seek to obey God's word and live lives of purity and godliness, both publicly and privately. But who is sufficient for such things? No one, except Christ. No one is adequate for such things. The man, best of men is man at best. Only Christ is. And in and of ourselves, we were bound to fail. If we depend on our own arm of flesh, we were bound to fail. But we are not alone. We are not in this alone. As leaders of the church, as leaders in the family, even leaders in the community and in the campus, and in the marketplace, you are not alone. Christ, who has called us, has also given us His Spirit, His empowering Spirit, to do His work, to preach the Gospel, 
to the uttermost end of the earth as he enables. Yes, it is hard and hard work. We will lose heart if not for this, if not for his comforting spirit. We will lose our ways if not for his directing spirit. We will be teary and sorrowful all day long if not for the peace and joy of the Holy Spirit which surpasses all human logic and all human circumstances in life. So let us labor on for the souls of men in the face of much opposition and challenges. As I mentioned earlier, as the church prepares to nominate and also to elect people to the church committee, leaders are needed. Yes, we need leaders. The church needs leaders. But not just any leader. We need godly leaders. For godly, for godly leadership matters. So let us answer the call of Christ to serve God in a, leader, in a godly leadership under Christ. Whether in church, whether in the homes, whether in the campus, in the marketplace, or in the community. And may the Lord help us to do His will for His glory. Amen. Let us look to God in prayer together.